Welcome to If You Only Knew, brought to you by the Diversity Movement, where Dr. Debbie Stroman talks race and diversity in sports with some of the most influential leaders at the intersection of athletics and racial equity. On this episode, Dr. Debbie talks with two NCAA basketball head coaches, Nikki Fargus from LSU and Dave Lado from DePaul. Both are former coaches of the year and both are involved in ABIS, the advancement of blacks in sports, which you'll hear more about on the show. Here's your host, UNC professor, entrepreneur, speaker, consultant, and advocate, Dr. Debbie Stroman. I want the checks, you keep the mate. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting. Welcome to If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. And boy, am I excited to have Coach Leto and Coach Fargus, friends that are connected actually through the University of Virginia. All three of us spent time there, but they are big time in their own ways running NCAA Division I programs. Coach Fargus at LSU and Coach Leto at DePaul. So Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. First, I want to start off with you, Coach Nikki Fargus. Tell me where it all started, where you grew up, and tell me about your athletic career. Athletic? I don't, I'm not an athlete. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, um, you know, I grew, I grew up in a small town right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, Oak Ridge, um, one high school, two junior high. Um, but the thing that I love about my upbringing was I got to grow up around family and I got to grow up around my grandparents, both of them and my great grandparents. So I got to learn a lot about our family dynamic, how tough it was, how challenging it was to be um, in a place like East Tennessee. But the fact that my generation, we just broke some barriers. We weren't going to be subjected to becoming and, and being a statistic. So my family worked really hard. So I'm from a plant family. So my mom worked at the plant. Um, we have three nuclear plants in my hometown. So I know some people that, you know, if you need something taken care of, Dr. Deb, I can help you out. Um, <laughs> but um, my grandmother and my grandfather worked at the plant. And so I knew that through working hard and, and, and getting a good education, that I would have an opportunity to better myself and, and not be at a plant. Not saying that any, I'm not knocking it because I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the sacrifices that my family made for myself and, 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 and so many in my age. I grew up in a town that when my grandmother got to high school, they didn't allow her to go to school. They was actually busing people to another city just to finish their high school diploma. So education was really big in my family. My mom went to um, a historically black college, T Tennessee State University. Um, my sister graduated and, and got a degree from Austin P and I got a degree from Tennessee, but we knew that we weren't going to be able to go to school. To be honest, um, we knew we had to either do one or two things, get an academic scholarship or an athletic scholarship because financially we weren't going to be able to afford it. So luckily somebody saw a little talent and I was able to a little bit, in, a little bit, a little bit. And so I um, attended University of Tennessee and from there just been on that path of trying to pay it forward. Well, you've done that well. You know, I had the opportunity to go against those volunteers in the playoffs. And uh, like most people, 
who don't go to University of Tennessee. We just don't want to hear that Rocky Top song. Yeah. Usually when you're singing that song, you're you're beating somebody really, really badly. And that was our situation. So thank you for that. Humble beginnings. Coach Leto, tell me about how you started. Were you a superstar athlete like Nikki? I'm sure. But uh, tell me about your beginning. No, I don't. I, I, like Nikki, I'm not sure I can I can claim that uh, as part of my existence. But I uh, my story is like most people that rise up. It's a little bit unique. I come from a, a city called New Bedford, Massachusetts, which is about an hour south of Boston. The uniqueness of where I come from, it's uh, predominantly either Portuguese or Cape Verdean people. And so I'm Cape Verdean 100%, which is, uh, for those who don't know, is a cluster of 10 islands off the coast of Africa, about 350 miles from Senegal. And so throughout the course of my life, it's been an explanation that I've had to talk about because not, if you're not from New England, you probably don't know very many, if, if any, Cape Verdeans. And so as a people, you know, sports and basketball was important, but we didn't have a lot of people to look up to. There weren't a lot of people that had done things before us. And so I followed the path of my family, as Nikki was talking about. I have four older sisters. The two closest to me played basketball, uh, one overseas in Europe, and, and uh, the one closest to me was the first uh, scholarship female athlete, basketball player anyway, at Providence College. And so I just wanted to be like her. And uh, uh, so it kept me uh, at the parks and in the gyms. And, you know, my mom, we didn't, my dad and my mom divorced when, when I was very young. So my mom raised five children and, you know, typical story of, of worked really hard and a lot of jobs to kind of put us in the best position to be successful. So I started playing basketball and Cape Verdeans by nature are, are not tall people. And so most of the people I grew up with, you know, are barely 60 and I grew to six, seven. So that helped me and eventually got a scholarship to go to Northeastern University uh, right there in Boston and didn't know it at the time that I was going to be playing for a Hall of Fame coach and Jim Calhoun. And so, you know, I learned a lot of life lessons both on and off the court. And, you know, when I when I graduated, I my family had moved out to California. So I migrated to L.A. and uh, started living there. And then I, I got a call to see if I were interested in coaching and said absolutely yes and started my career in 1984 at Northeastern. And you know, it's been a long, successful uh, journey, you know, from that point until where, where I am now. And so, you know, kind of like Nikki said, I've, I've learned to pay this thing forward because I've had many blessings from many, many people and circumstances that have allowed me to continue to move through this business that have cost a lot of people a lot of different things. And it's been very, very rewarding, both on the court, and especially off the court, to be involved with so many young people and and to do so many things and see so many places. Well, there is no doubt you all have been very, very successful. Both of you have won Coach of the Year in top conferences. And Nikki, you at UCLA and uh, Coach Leto at Virginia. And so I want to hear about those influencers. Can you name one or two people that really made a difference for you, you know, whether it is as an athlete or as a coach, as an administrator? Coach Fargus? Um, well, I was very fortunate to be able to get a recruiting letter from the University of Tennessee, which happened to be 20 minutes from my hometown. But I'll tell you, I never, I was that kid. I was like, I want to go away. I don't want to stay here. You know, there's nothing here. And I literally fought like, why am I going, you know, why should I go there? And so, well, the answer is because historically they're one of the best programs in the country but they also had one of the best and they had one of the best people that I've ever met in the country with Pat Summit. 
And so when you think about how long that this lady has influenced my life, she influenced me from high school by get by um by the by the offer. Um, because obviously when you do decide to um, attend a university, once that national letter of intent uh, you sign and I sign early, you kind of feel like you got to represent that university, even when you're in high school and you're, and so, and then the other people that were going to be playing against you, obviously they're going, they're going to do a little bit more because, oh, you signed at Tennessee. Okay. Let me, you know, so, so you got sized up a little bit more, but her influence is more than just teaching me about the game. She really taught me about the game of life. And some of the things that I carry with me in not only as a coach, but even as a wife and a mom, I got to see her. She went in labor with Tyler Summit on a recruiting trip on her way returning from Pennsylvania. She said, do not stop. You better get me to Tennessee. And so she has Tyler Summit and I'm just a freshman and I'm like, how is she going to do all of this? Like the season she had him uh, in, in the fall. I can't recall his exact birthday, but I know we were in preseason because we were on the court running seven. We were on the track running seven, four hundreds. So I think Pat thought we were the track team when I played and then there was no hours. So, you know, they back then you, it, this 20 hours, like the kids are like, don't over 20 hours. I'm thinking, we probably were 40 hours. That's what's wrong with you guys now. So, <laughs> so I just remember watching her just navigate being one of the best in the business, right? And being a mom. And so I'm like, wow, you can, you can have it. You can have both. You can be successful in your own respective profession and you can have a family. Yeah. Thank you for lifting her up. She was an influence in my life as well. You know, being a young camper uh, playing outside of Philadelphia and going to the Poconos and Kathy mm-hmm. Rush camps and knowing that it was great to be on her team. Or if you weren't on her team, you better play hard because the team is going to be tough. So thank you for lifting her up. May she rest in peace and power. So yeah. Coach Leto, influence, who helped you along the way? Yeah, so I, I think as Nikki mentioned, I said, you know, we both played for, for tremendous Hall of Fame coaches. And so I, I would be remiss if I don't attach a lot of you know, who I've become to to Jim Calhoun because he, ta- he taught me many things. But it kind of goes beyond there. And, and uh, coaches uh, next to your family, for those who participate in sports, uh, become the closest people to, to your life, you know, outside of your mom and dad. And I had an assistant coach. Not many people across the country know about him, but, you know, coming from where I came from, I was really green. My mother was very strict. And so I didn't know a whole lot about a whole lot. I had to spend a lot of time at home and, you know, came from my sister's influence. So becoming a man wasn't something that I was well versed in. And so the, the gentleman that did most of the recruiting was, was a gentleman by the name of Keith Motley, who now goes by Dr. Keith Motley. Uh, back then, if you're an assistant coach, you also did other things. So he was. Uh, working in the admissions department, but he, he kind of took me by the hand and saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself, not just as an athlete, uh, but as a human being. Uh, he walked me through the walk. He, he did so many things for me to open my eyes up to what it would be, uh, especially in Boston in the late 70s, where there was so much racial tension and you know pride and all those things that, that were going on at the time. And you know, he introduced me to my wife. He used to tell me to go here and not go there and do this and not do that. 
the importance of education, all the things that I didn't know and needed to needed to know at the time. And he worked his way up from an assistant coach and he, he remained in that role for a long time, but through the university, eventually became a vice president and then became a president, a college president at the University of Massachusetts system in, in Boston. And so uh, following his lead, not just, you know, and the things that he taught me, but who he became from college athlete being recruited to go to Northeastern, you know, a few years before I got there, and then to become the kind of human being, man, and and uh, educator that he became just, you know, to this day is something I don't make any major decisions without consulting him because he's taught me so, so much about life, not just about basketball. And and uh, so both of those gentlemen have had major influences and to shape the things that I think about, how I approach conversations and the decisions that I have to make uh, in my personal life and in my professional life as well. Well, that's beautiful that you can have someone that knew you when you were young and then can still influence your life as you're older. That's that's beautiful. Now, we are definitely in a very tough time. COVID-19, coronavirus, and you all have your families to take care of, and then your basketball family. You have a lot of young people and your staff, you know, leading your leadership, them calling on you. So what are your thoughts about, you know, health and safety during this time? What do you say to your staff? What do you say to your players to encourage them and understand that this is definitely something that no one ever expected, and it has a lot of unknowns. Uh, Coach Leto, I'll start with you. Well, you know, as we said, there are two pandemics going on at the same time, right? There's a health pandemic, and then there's a social injustice pandemic, and, and we are smack dab in the middle of it. One of the things, and, and uh, I'm sure Nikki can attest to this, when you're in a leadership position, you know, everybody assumes and expects that you're okay all day, every day, and, and you have to be able to counsel people particularly in situations that we're in right now. So you have to look at yourself in the mirror every morning and make sure, even when you're not okay, that you can function properly because your words mean so much to, to a lot, especially young people that are around every day. But my staff, my coaches, especially our players, and I've talked about this way before this pandemic, uh, are in a very, very difficult and unique position. You know, I call it off balance. And we've talked so much about mental health Dealing over the last five or six months with all these things has been a real, real challenge for everyone, you know, starting with us as leaders. And so uh, I've tried to dive deeper into the counseling aspect of how I treat them, how I talk to them, how I read their body language, how I respond to them, and ultimately what they do. Because we, we have, you know, these lives very gently in our hands. Uh, and one sentence or one day or one conversation can change things for the good and sometimes for the bad. And so not just with our players at, you know, between 18 and 22, but, you know, staff and, and how they look at the world and the questions that they have and the assumptions that they make. So there's so many things uh, emotionally with, you know, health and safety. And, and, I, and I talk about COVID in the sense that if you go back to March, it became a real scary issue from a health perspective. You know, as we got a couple of months into it, it became uh, a monetary issue. You know, should we or shouldn't you not go back to work? People are losing, you know, their homes and things like that. Then it became a political issue. Uh, and so now we have all three of those entities at work, not knowing which one each day is going to come to the forefront in decision making. And so that weighs on a lot of people, particularly our young people, and not understanding why all those things are, are in the middle of it. And then, you know, you tackle the, the social injustice issue and uh, you have a lot of people that are extremely off balance right now. And, and so, 
it, it's unprecedented. It's something that, you know, I didn't go to school for. Uh, but when you're in a position of leadership, you have to be able to be a voice, a voice of reason and a voice of counsel. Uh, if nothing else, to seek professional uh, advice that, that can steer them in a direction that would kind of get them back to, to normal. So athletes, you know, are creature habit. You know, they get up at a certain time. They go to class at a certain time. They study at a certain time. They come to work out at a certain time. They play at a certain time. And so all of those things have been disrupted, uh, along with the fact that they don't know their future. And mm -hmm. so it's really, really important right now, probably the most important time they'll ever have in their life, to seek proper counsel and, and understand where they're going and why they're, they're going in certain places. And so really difficult time for all of us. Yeah. Coach Fargus, what are your thoughts during this time period? I, I'd like to echo, and, and I totally agree with Dave and in, in, in how much this is an area that needs a lot of attention. It needed it before all of this. It needed it before um, we went through a pandemic and the social unrest. And I truly believe that we ask so much of our student athletes. We ask them to be, you know, the leading reader, the leading scorer, the big defender and go to school and do this and sit in front of the media and talk to the boosters and this. And then what do we have in place for them when all of the lights are off, the ball is not bouncing and it's just them. And now that's all been taken away. So our kids, our, our student athletes, and, and students and everybody. I'm not just saying the student athletes don't have a lot to go through, but just speaking in general, you have a pandemic that took away an NCAA opportunity, which is what these kids, they love playing an NCAA tournament. Like if you could say, hey, do you want to play non-conference or just skip to March Madness? They're going to say, we want March Madness. So to work through that, not having a season or a season ending abruptly, now you've got to go home because you, you some of them had to go home because of the pandemic. And then you can't play. There's nowhere for you to go because you got to stay in the house. These are kids who have been playing basketball or playing sports since they were like six, seven, eight years old. And they've been in a routine. They know we get up in the off season. We go here, we go there. And for all of that to just come to a screeching halt. Then on top of that, the dangling that just that just tips the scale. It's what we're dealing with right now in our country with all the, the social injustice. Yeah. I would say reach out, it, whoever's listening, find the resources that are out there if you don't have it on your own campus or you don't have access to it. There are interactive modules that support the mental wellness of the student athlete. And if this hasn't taught us anything, is that we got to take this more serious. We've got to be committed as leaders. We train the muscle. We train, you run faster, jump here, but we are not training this one to be able to handle and cope um, with all the, the things that they are, that are there being subjected to. And again, I, I've been a firm believer of this. Um, three years ago, we do a mental wellness um, eight week program in the summer with our sports psychologist. And again, there's not every institution, not every school has a sports psychologist. And, and so we're very fortunate to be at a school that does recognize that. Now, does there need to be more? Yes. But also I think it's important for you to have that with your staff, um, be able to provide them 
the access and the resources that they need to not only function for themselves and their families, but to function for your team as well as we move through both pandemics. Well, thank you for that, both of you. I think leadership, I heard that. I heard the mental health piece and I became certified in mental health. The first aid, in fact, people can Google it. Uh, it's a first aid uh, mental health certification. And that certainly is not a, a degree, a, a, you know, a doctorate degree in it, but certainly it helps us identify as leaders the different signs and understanding what depression is versus another type of form of mental health illness. So thank you for that. Now, social justice, you mentioned it, and we've all come together. We've all come together under a new organization that is about being the voice, being the voice of what's going on in terms of racial, social, and economic justice. And that's the advancement of Blacks in sports. Coach Fargus, Coach Leto, you guys are the pillars. You, you were there at the beginning. So please tell the listening audience what brought you to ABIS and uh, what specifically are you working on? Well, it, they brought me to ABIS. <laughs> So he was all, he was, he was well before, but Dave know that, you know, and he knows this and, 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 and I'm sure Ms. Leto will, will also sign off that, you know, you can't get stuff, you can't get everything done without women. So I'm going to pivot to Dave. I'm going to throw that to him so he can talk and start. <laughs> As I mentioned before, I, you know, there was a mom and four sisters in my house. So I, uh, I learned a lot. And, well trained. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened, you know, I, I think everybody in this, in the world, not just in this country after, uh, and, and before the murder of George Floyd. And, and I, and I, I saw that, you know, my wife and I were watching it at the same time and my jaw dropped because it was murder in front of my eyes. And I went all the way back to, uh, to Rodney King in the early nineties. I think it was 91. And when that happened, I said, Oh, wow, this, this is really wrong. Somebody's going to pay for this. I was dead set knowing that somebody was going to pay. And then nobody did. And from that point on until seeing that, it just, it just shook me. And, uh, you know, many years ago being part of the BCA, I, I always thought of it very simplistically. If, if you're not a part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. And so, uh, Gary Charles and I and, and Leonard Hamilton and Carl Hugh and a few other people were, we were talking about it, you know, individually and then collectively. It started out as a conversation, uh, turned into a little bit of a movement, but then it turned into, a coalition, and then it turned into an organization, you know? And so as we talked and I said, if we're going to do this, it shouldn't be just about basketball. Or if we're going to do this, we have to partner with, with uh, women's basketball. I had known Felicia uh, Allen for, for a long time and I got her and Gary on the phone and she's so dynamic. And, you know, again, it brought uh, Nikki and Joni Taylor and so many other dynamic women coaches who are leaders uh, to the table. And it just took off from there to have a unity and an understanding that we're all going through the same fight. We do it in different sports at different levels at different times. Uh, and so it's taken off for all the things that are important in, in sports, you know, and, and, and mainly through the NCAA, who in its own right has tried to do a good job, but has fallen short of representing people of color for a long time in a lot of initiatives. And so our work is just beginning. This is a time that we can really collectively talk about systemic racism and systematic change. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we are so, so grateful for you all being at the beginning and taking an idea and making it come to life. And that's what it's about. It's about collaboration. So Nikki, 
your involvement? What specific things are you concerned about that make sure that ABIS moves it forward? Well, I think we've got to really look at how we can be impactful. You know, we're not going to um, solve all the problems that we face, but there's some areas that we can make a significant change in. And I think it starts with our mindset. Mm-hmm. So when you are asked to join Dave and, and Gary Charles and when Felicia call, your mindset is, is that of a competitor. Like, I want to beat racism. So just line me up. I don't want to be a bench player. I don't want to be a sub. I want to be a starter. That's the energy. That's what we know um, going into when you bring coaches from all sports at all levels. And I think that's what really makes this unique is that we, we are tackling the grassroots level. We've got representation from track and field and baseball and obviously men's and women's basketball and football. And we want to tap into making sure that, that the, the gymnasts and in other sports that may not have the representation that we are. And, and, and like you said at the very beginning, that we are the voice and we need to be the voice for the voiceless. When I look at our game plan, we have some keys to victory and are we going to hit every key? But we're going to score some points on them. I will say that we're going to score some points and, and to have also the support of civil and, and, and human rights attorneys to have the support of your research team who, who can hold, you know, we want to hold people accountable. We need to make sure that we are putting out there, just like we put out, hey, that's the leading score or who's leading in these areas. That's the world we come from. So take that same game plan and apply it to my biggest opponent right now is racism. Yeah. Are there different ways of attacking it? It's not no difference than there's different ways of attacking a press. We've got to be ready to pivot. We've got to be ready to go into overtime. We, we got to, we might be down two, but at the end, what we've been taught always as a people is that we always will continue to fight and we got to have the stamina. And I think the stamina is there with ABIS. I don't, I know people are staying up and, and they're working very hard to make sure that we are attacking the initiatives and the programs set forth. But they also know there was 400 years of this. So I don't think we're going to get tight. No, I think we're going to, I think we're going to push forward. And then when we do get tired, you know what we put together? We put together a dream team. So next, next man up, you know, I might need to take a breather. Well, there's Dave. You might need to take a breather. Well, there's Gary. And I think the beauty of it is that we're all collaborating at a level that is not about us. It's something bigger than us. And so that's what I love about this group. Well stated. And we do know the research even shows that that racism affects everybody, white, brown, and black. And so Coach Coach Leto, if someone's listening in and they are white, they are brown, they are a person of a color, and they want to get involved with ABIS, what do you say to them? What would your message be in terms of joining our organization and being a part of this? Well, you know, all, all, all you really need to have is a conscience, uh, a conscience uh, to know right from wrong. It's very, very simplistic. And I think uh, it doesn't take a genius to understand what inequity means. And if you see something that's unequal uh, and you have an opportunity through your conscience to do something about it, 
then, you know, we'll, we'll direct you to the right path to, to be a part of it, you know, and, and there's so many things that one can be a part of either small or large, you know, obviously it, it starts with communication and uh, getting on our website and, and talking to Mickey or Dave, or Gary or Dr. Stroman or anybody to say, how can I be a part of this? And we'll, there's a lot of work to do. There's a whole lot of work to do. So we can put you to work yesterday. But, you know, as I said, it, it's, it, if you, if somebody were listening and say, well, I'd like to, that means that we've enacted their, their conscience. No matter what side of the fence they're on or whatever, right is right and wrong is wrong. So what we want to do is be, you know, those agents of change mm -hmm. to make sure that, that tomorrow is better than today. And participation is is a large part of that. And, and Nikki said, you know, we're all dynamic leaders. We've, we wouldn't have gotten to this point in our life without doing something very, very special. But our obligation uh, means that, as Nikki said, it's not about us and, and we're, we're required to pay it forward. And so uh, anybody who comes without an ego and wants to roll up their sleeves is going to have a lot of work to do, but it's going to be fruitful work. That's, that's, ah, that's spot on, spot on. And so the website, weareabis.org. Now, coaches, I know you have a lot going on, again, personally and professionally, and I know you're going to wind down one day. And when it's all over and you're sitting in your rocking chair and watching your favorite team play, if you reflect back on your career, what do you want people to remember you for? Coach Vargas? You know, I'm, I, I didn't know that I was going to be a coach. I think I, um, I think I kind of fought it. I, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You're not going to have a life, right? I'm looking at these coaches and all they do is eat, sleep, and breathe basketball. And I was like, I want a life, but it kept pulling me, right? It just kept pulling me. I just wanted to be more hands-on. I want to be boots on the ground and to be able to walk into a home and offer um, for us a young woman a scholarship. I coached at Virginia, Tennessee, UCLA. I'm a, I've been able to offer scholarships to so many great women when there was a time when we couldn't even go to school. So I want to make sure that my presence in their lives is that of being a strong black female in a, in a world that is forever changing. I was talking to your crew. They're great, Jason. And, and, and we were just talking about just technology. Like when I came through, there was no technology. When you want, and if you, if you want to make change, you have to be willing to make the sacrifice for change. And I want to make sure that our, our, our young ladies always understand what it means to protect your family. And we got to continue to support and be there for each other. And then the other thing, too, I would say, I would hope that everything that I've done, I hope that whoever comes, my only ask is, is that you reach back into your community. You reach back and you bring the next generation up. You have to pay this forward so we can make it a little bit better than when we came through. Thank you. Thank you so much. Coach Leto. It's been many years. And so... Uh, without wanting to, I've thought about your question, you know, probably more than I should, uh, because I, I, I'm probably on the south side of my years in this business. But uh, many years ago, you know, one of, one of my mentors when I was an assistant at the University of Connecticut just did one day jokingly define all the responsibilities of a coach. You know, you're, you're a coach, you're, you're a dad, you're an uncle, you're a psychologist, you're, you're an educator, you're this, you're that, you're this. And, uh, and so I thought to myself, 
and, and Nick can attest to this, on, on any given day, I don't know, 20, 25% of your time is spent on basketball. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it is outside of the game. And so I wanted to redefine a definition of a coach. So I would tell people, I tell when I'm talking to recruiting their family all the time or my own players or anybody who will listen that if you look at me and you see a coach, then I've done a really poor job in representing who I am. Uh, I try to be much more than that. So from a legacy standpoint, by the time it's all said and done, you can't, you, no one's going to be able to know what my record, win-loss record is, but they'll certainly know my reputation. And that's for how I treated people. Uh, the young men that, that, you know, Nikki was talking about with her women that you, whose lives you, you met and affected in a positive way. So when, when a former player will say to you, coach, you know, I love you, or I didn't know what you were teaching me at the time, but I see it now. Then you know, you've done a fantastic job in this industry. Uh, because the outside world looks at you for your win loss record, you know, for two hours a day and they judge you. Uh, but there's so much more to to give and to get from this business that I've been very fortunate to be a part of. And so that's how I would like for people to remember me. No matter if I won a national championship or not, it's the, the, the things that I did, uh, the lives that I that I touched and made just a tad bit better. Uh, and the person that I tried to maintain in a very, very trying business at times. Well, there is no doubt that you all do it very, very um, well. It makes me think of People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thank you for this opportunity to chat with you, to learn more about your background, to talk about the advancement of Blacks in sports. Coach Fargus, keep doing what you do so well. And no doubt that people at LSU and Louisiana and around the country, because I know your network is vast, is continuing to support you and lift you up. And Coach Leto, your presence, your leadership, it is just remarkable. So many people that you touch. So we will continue to move forward. I want to thank you again for spending time with the only new, with Dr. Debbie Strong. I want the checks. You keep the bait. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. It's been exhausting carrying the weight. Been accused of stealing the reviews. That was Dr. Debbie Stroman with Nikki Fargus and Dave Lato. To visit ABIS, go to weareabis.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And hit the subscribe button, too. That way, you'll be notified when next week's episode launches. This show was edited and produced by EarFluence and is brought to you by thediversitymovement.com. Intro and outro music for this episode is from Soteria. And you can find more of her music at IamSoteria.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on If You Only Knew with Dr. Debbie Stroman. Let me testify, let me touch the sky, let me change the vibe. Talk about the drama, but there's more to come. Send me calling comma, the vultures are lurking. The church-